0: Well, again, good morning, welcome to Calvary, wherever you're worshiping at, all of you here in the worship center, all of you over in the chapel, all of you at our Minnetonka campus, and then anyone who's sitting out on their deck with a cup of coffee, enjoying the sunshine, watching online. So great that we can worship together in spirit and in truth. You know, as we look around at our country and our society, it's pretty evident that trust is at a deficit. That there is a lack of trust in almost every institution. There's a lack of trust in government. There's a lack of trust in churches. And there's also a lack of trust between each other. There's an organization called Pew Research that does a bunch of polling. And in the last couple of years, they found that 73% of people under the age of 30 generally have no trust that other people will do what is right. And that's a big number. 73% don't have any trust in the people around them Now, you can imagine that this lack of trust that we are experiencing today has all sorts of negative effects in our society. And it dramatically leads to division and conflict and disagreement and just a depressing negative feel in many relationships. So for the past five weeks, we've been in a message series called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And we've been looking really at a course and a book that was written by Pete and Jerry Scazzaro and just lots of helpful information and ideas about how we can practically work to being more emotionally healthy in our relationships. And so today, I want to continue on with that series, but I want you to know that this is not a part of the course. So if, you know, there's something that doesn't hit you quite right, or it kind of falls flat, it's not the Scazzaro's fault, it's my fault, all right? But I think this is a topic that naturally connects to what we've been talking about in the series, because trust is at the heart of any healthy relationship. It's such a vital component to all of the relationships that we have. In fact, your relationships are no stronger than the amount of trust in them. You know, think about it. If if you don't have trust in someone, it's pretty hard to grow deeper in a relationship with them. It's really a barrier that's really hard to overcome. You know, for some of us, just even bringing up the topic of trust can be difficult and can be uncomfortable. When we start to talk about trust, it can make us feel nervous and suspicious, and we can start to wonder, is there some sort of hidden agenda that I need to be aware of? Because there may be so many times in our life when we have been hurt, and we have been disappointed, and we have been let down, even by the people that we love the most. You know, I think there are really two big things in our lives that can make it really hard for us to trust other people. Number one, it's what we see and experience in our everyday life. And number two, it's just who we are. It's because of our upbringing and who we are as people. You know, maybe there's someone in your life who said they would follow through, but they didn't. Maybe there's someone who gave you their word that they would never do that one thing again, but they did. Maybe you grew up in a family where someone who was supposed to love and protect you broke your trust in an incredibly painful way. And through all of these experiences in life, you've actually learned not to trust people as a defense mechanism. But here's the thing, church. We are actually instructed by God to learn how to trust other people better. And so that's what I want to talk with you about this morning. And one of the places I want to start is by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, something that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church, and it's often called the love chapter. Now, you've probably heard this passage read at numerous weddings that you've attended, or maybe it was even read at your own wedding. But I also like to think of it as Paul's response, 1900 years before it even came up, but his response to Foreigner's song, I Want to Know What Love Is. Right? He gives probably the best definition about what love is. We're going to start with verse 4 in 1st Corinthians 13 Paul says love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it does not dishonor others it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered it keeps no record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. So Paul starts out with these very familiar words, love is patient and love is kind, which makes perfect sense, right? It's something we can all get on board with. It's a great start to talking about love. But then quickly, Paul ups the ante and he says, love is not easily angered. And we might wonder, so what does he exactly mean by easily angered? I mean, obviously, Paul never had to commute in traffic in Minnesota, right? Paul never had to deal with winter lasting until May. So what does it mean to be easily angered? Well, look at what he says in the very next part. He says, love keeps no record of wrongs pretty convicting, isn't it? Because I think we all know someone, or maybe if we're honest, it's ourselves, someone who kind of functions like a hard drive, who saves and documents every way that people fall short, every way that people disappoint them. You know, I think this can often be a huge obstacle in people's marriages because we keep 10 or 20 or 30 years of files detailing the failures, and the disappointments of our spouse. We can remember the day and the time when they have heard us or let us down. We can remember the words that they used and even the tone that they came in. And the thing is, these files that we download and we store up are easily accessed. They're alphabetized and organized so well in our mind, and they come out quickly as ammunition when we enter into a conflict. You know, any time that maybe the other person does something, well, these files cause us to assume the worst about them. And here, what Paul is saying to all of us who maybe function like a hard drive, he's saying, you need to get rid of every file and folder, and you need to let it go. Love keeps no record of wrongs. And that is super, super hard to do. For some of us, it might mean taking some very long, intentional time to delete a bunch of files. But Paul goes on then, and he says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. You know, really what this means is not seeking to try to catch people doing the wrong thing, but instead trying to catch people doing the right thing. It means being more excited to celebrate than to criticize. And so how are we doing when it comes to loving the people Around us. Now, all of these thoughts that Paul has, this definition that he's giving, is really well summed up in the very next verse in verse 7, where Paul says, It always, it as love, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Notice the word that shows up four times. There's very few verses in all of Scripture that have a word that is repeated that often. It's the word always. It means this isn't optional. It doesn't mean when you feel like it. It doesn't mean when it's easy. It doesn't mean when the stakes are low. Love always protects and trusts and hopes and perseveres. You know, really what that means, what Paul is describing for us, is that love stretches. Love stretches on behalf of others. Love stretches to give the benefit of the doubt whenever possible. Love stretches in order to preserve the relationship, to not just allow it to fracture and to dissolve. You see, love isn't just an emotion. It's actually a choice that we have to make day after day, moment after moment. Love doesn't stay strong. It doesn't last if it's just based on emotions or on feelings. I think there are three important things about a love that stretches. Number one, love gives the other person the benefit of the doubt whenever possible. And we're going to talk in a little bit about how we get to choose how to fill in the narrative. But think of how often... Maybe because of those files that we have in our head or in our heart, how often we put a negative spin instead of a positive one on the actions or the words of someone else. But a love that stretches gives the other person the benefit of the doubt. Number two, love looks for the most generous explanation for the other person's behavior. Again, this is about believing the best and not the worst whenever. Possible. And number three, love chooses trust over suspicion. Think about in our relationships. Something happens and we have to react. Are we going to choose to trust or are we going to fall into suspicion? You see, every relationship we have, every relationship has gaps. And the gaps are between what is expected and what's experienced. Whenever we have an expectation that somehow turns out in a different way, there is a gap that's created. For example, this is completely hypothetical, but let's say I was in high school and I was expected to be home by midnight and I didn't get home until 2 a.m. When my actions didn't line up with my expectations, there was a gap that was created. Or when we expect our spouse to abide by the budget that we had discussed and then that month's visa bill shows up and there's unexpected charges, there is a gap that's created. When we expect our coworkers to do their part on a project and when it comes time to do the presentation, they're not properly prepared, there's a gap that's created When we elect politicians and we expect them to follow through on their campaign promises and they get into office and they do completely different things, there is a gap that is created in every single relationship in our lives. There are gaps between what we expect and what we experience. But here's why this is vitally important, church. You choose what to fill the gap with. All right, the gaps are inevitable. We're all gonna experience them in every relationship, but it's you that gets to choose what to fill that gap with. And you can fill the gap with trust or with suspicion. You can believe the best or you can assume the worst. You see, when we choose to trust First, we're choosing to believe the best in the other person. And so, when I was in high school and I missed curfew and I didn't call to check in like I was supposed to, so my parents had no idea where I was, there was definitely a gap that was created. And when I finally got home, there was definitely frustration and lots of questions. But my parents allowed me to explain what had happened and they chose to believe the best. Now, I certainly faced some consequences, but because they believed the best and they chose to trust, well, then our relationship was able to stay strong. You see, when we trust first, we narrow the gap, and our relationship is able to grow stronger. Now, again, there might be consequences and discipline that are required, but the relationship can stay strong and whole. But when we assume the worst, when we cave into suspicion, the gap actually widens and it causes the relationship to weaken. You know, if my parents had refused to let me explain what had happened and they just assumed that I would never follow the rules again, well, the gap would have grown and our relationship might have crumbled. So how we choose to fill the gap makes all the difference. Now, the gap might have been created completely by somebody else's words or actions or choices, but you and you alone are the one who chooses what to do with the gap that has been created. So the question for each one of us in our relationships is, will we choose trust or will we choose suspicion? Of course, we can't control the decisions and choices that other people make but we can control the choice that we make in response to those actions and decisions we can choose to trust our spouse our children our coworkers and even elected officials we can choose first to believe the best instead of assuming the worst. And this is where faith actually comes in. It's faith in the other person, but it's even more deeply a faith in God and what he is able to do. Can we trust in God enough to help us narrow the gap and to believe the best about people? Because the thing is, God believes the best. God sees potential. God is able to work miracles. He sees the best in us and others And actually, God chooses to trust. Have you ever thought about that before? That God actually chooses to trust you. It's a mind-blowing thought. I mean, think of all the questionable characters in the Bible that God called to join his team. You'd think after all of his experiences of having expectations that weren't met, he chose prophets and kings and leaders and apostles, and disciples, and every one of them created gigantic gaps between what God expected and what he experienced. We could look at the story of Abraham. We could look at the story of David, and Jonah, and Elijah, and Peter, and the list goes on and on. Huge gaps. I mean, you'd think it would just make sense that they ruined it for everyone. But God continued to trust and to empower his people. And he finally, creatively, and definitively found a way to completely bridge the gap because God sent Jesus to bridge that gap once and for all on the cross. He paid the penalty for your sins and for mine. He rose again on the third day and he calls us to be on his team He desperately wants a living relationship with you and with me. But not only that, he entrusts his powerful, life-changing gospel to us. He tells us to go out and share it with every person we can. And he doesn't do this because we're especially worthy or because we're so impressive or because we have our act together. Instead, God chooses to trust us to be a part of what he's doing in this world redeeming everything putting everything that is broken back together and it's clearly laid out in Jesus by Jesus in John 15:16 he says you did not choose me but i chose you not only that and i appointed you so that you might go and bear fruits god bridged the gap And he trusts us to be a vital part of his mission. Because God demonstrates trust towards us, we need to learn how to better trust others. Again, it's an essential part of any healthy relationship. I mean, think for a moment how it feels when you know someone doesn't trust you. I mean, do you feel compelled to get to know that person better, to lean into that relationship? Probably not, right? When children know that their parents don't trust them, it often becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, why be trustworthy if you're not trusted in the first place? When spouses know that there's no trust in their marriage, well, there's very little motivation to move forward and seek healing and reconciliation, you know, very little good comes when we choose to be suspicious and we assume the worst. But when we choose to trust people and to believe the best and to remember that God is able to change lives and to make new possibilities, well, then we open the door to healing and hope. It allows love to take root and even further to be revival in the relationship. So next time your experience doesn't meet your expectation, challenge yourself to choose to think the best, to give the other person the benefit of the doubt whenever possible. You know, when our children make a mistake, give them the benefit of the doubt. Give them a chance to explain what's going on. When the visa bill comes, we need to listen before we jump to conclusions even with our elected officials, what if we would believe the best about those on the other side of the aisle and not just paint people to be evil, demonic people who don't care about anyone or don't care about our country? Remember, again, we get to choose how to fill the gap. And when we fill the gap with love, it's by thinking the best, assuming the best and choosing trust over suspicion. But the natural question, I know what you're thinking, is what do you do when it becomes impossible to trust someone any longer? Some relationships do become so toxic. Some people have proven themselves so untrustworthy that there's simply no way for us to trust them any longer. So what do we do? Well, Jesus actually gives us an answer. If you can't trust them, confront them. Now, this makes many of you nervous already because most of us don't enjoy confrontation, right? Maybe we have some really bad experiences with it. In fact, I would say it's probably a good idea to stay clear of people who love confrontation. But Jesus actually gave us a step-by-step process in how to handle relationships, in this regard. Now this is amazing because it's actually the only time that Jesus gives a step-by-step process. It's something I think we wish we would have in every regard, every topic. Like if Jesus would just give us bullet points, like do this, 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 and you're good to go. He actually does that with these types of relationships. And I think the reason he does is because he knows how important relationships are. He also knows what we're inclined to do. You know, oftentimes we talk about it with someone else, not the person involved. We talk with someone else. We gossip. We talk behind their back. There's other times we just play out an imaginary conversation in our mind, what we wish we could say to that person. Or maybe as Midwesterners, the more likely scenario is we just pretend like everything's okay. But Jesus says in Matthew 18:15. If your brother or sister sins, if there's a gap that's created, go and point out their faults. But here's the key, just between the two of you. Jesus is saying, you need to go have a conversation. Go meet with the person and talk to them privately. All the while, assume the best as much as you can, because it's the best way to protect and value your relationship. Don't just go get in their face and make all sorts of accusations. If you don't know, go and ask and listen. Seek to understand because we all want to be understood. And the goal of this process is reconciliation. It's not revenge or retribution. You see, the steps that Jesus gives to us in Matthew 18 are with the hope of healing. It's all about preserving the relationship. The last thing we want is to fracture and dissolve the relationships that God has given us. Now, Jesus goes on then to say, if that first step doesn't work, he gives us the next step and the next step. And I'll just commend that to your reading on your own time. Read the rest of Matthew 18 to see a biblical process for dealing with conflict. But what I want to end our time with is something that I've found incredibly helpful. And it's called the five steps or five commitments of trust. And it comes from North Point church in Atlanta, Georgia. It's a really large church with a large staff. And so this is something they ask all of their staff members to commit to. But I also think they are things that are super practical and helpful in our own personal relationships. So number one, the first commitment of trust. When there is a gap between what I expect and what I experience, I will believe the best. This means pre-deciding that when you have the opportunity, you're gonna fill the gap with trust instead of suspicion. You might even notice in yourself that you're more inclined to look at things negatively and suspiciously, and that's why it's so important to pre-decide to fill the gap with trust. Number two, when other people assume the worst about you, I will come to your defense. All right, when you create a gap for someone and that other person comes and vents about you to me, I'm going to tell them, All right, slow down. I'm going to ask them some questions like, have you thought of it this way? Or let's assume that they have a good reason. You know, really here I think is the best way to practice this. Imagine you're hanging out with your most politically inclined friends and they start to complain and criticize that other party. You know, they're destroying America. They're evil people. What if you would turn to them and say, hey, let's choose to believe the best. Maybe we can look at it from a different perspective. You know, they love our country or our state too. Maybe they just approach this in a different way. Now, let me tell you, I've preached on this topic at other churches before. And I had an elderly gentleman come up to me after the service and he said, I'm on board with everything you taught and I'm ready to go put this into practice, except that I will never do that. It's really sad, I thought, but honest, I guess. But here's how serious this is. God actually put it in the Ten Commandments. The Eighth Commandment says, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, just like all the other commandments, there's actually a lot more depth there than meets the eye. And one of the best places to turn for an explanation is Martin Luther. Some of you might remember back in confirmation class, your small catechism, But in the small catechism, Luther explains the eighth commandment like this. He says, we should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, slander him, or hurt his reputation. But here's the key, but defend him, speak well of him, and explain everything in the kindest way. Can you imagine? Think about the person that you have the hardest time seeing eye to eye with. Think of the person that you are most repelled by. And what if you would actually do that? What if you would explain their actions in the kindest way? Do you think those words accurately describe Christians today? I think oftentimes, unfortunately, they don't. But what if we were followers of Jesus who would go out of our way to follow the eighth commandment, even when it comes to emotional things like politics or values or worldviews? Some of you might know that this past week, a pastor named Tim Keller passed away He's one of the most influential scholars and theologians and just preachers for my ministry. He's written some of the most incredible books. And one of the most amazing things about him is he had a huge write-up in the New York Times and the Washington Post, all kinds of secular newspapers. And what they noticed is he was able to stand on the word, but still be kind and gracious and loving. So much so that the world noticed. What if we would follow his example? I think it would make a huge difference. Number three, if what I experience begins to erode my trust, I will come directly to you about it. I'm not going to talk behind your back. I'm not going to gossip around the water cooler, if anybody does that anymore but I'm going to pre-decide that I'm going to go and talk to you and not just talk about you. Number four, when I will not be able to deliver on a promise, I will inform you ahead of time. I'm going to respect you enough to tell you the truth. I'm not going to try to hide it or pretend like everything is fine or that it doesn't matter or make excuses. No, I'm going to respect you enough to give you a heads up. And then number five, When you confront me about the gaps I've created, I will tell you the truth. Again, no excuses, no blame. I'm gonna tell it like it is. I'm gonna take responsibility for my actions because telling the truth builds trust. So church, I wanna encourage you to take these commitments with you and put them into practice at home, at work, with your friends, because every single one of us here wants to be trusted and people become more trustworthy when they are given the gift of trust. So imagine again, what it might look like if we would go from this place and we started building and giving more trust. I think it would make an incredible difference in our relationships. And I think it would be a really effective way for us to shine the light of Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for how big and powerful and creative you are, that you found the most incredible way to bridge the gap that we've created through our sin and brokenness, that you sent Jesus to do all the work so that we could be brought back into a right relationship with you. God, we thank you that you trust us enough to be a part of your team, to be a part of your mission. And so God, help us to trust others in the way that you trust us. God, help us to be people who assume the best whenever possible. Help us to be people who explain other people's actions in the very best way. God, help us to be so countercultural that people would see you in and through us. And God, our desire is that you would help us form emotionally healthy relationships so that we can better reach the world with your good news. And so God, we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus and let's all say together.